You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Hello, vixens, vixies, dudes, family members, friends. This is Maddie, the one of the co-hosts of the Voluntary Vixens podcast. I'm solo for this brief introductory uh, clip for you here. Um, Jesse and I have ho- both had a fairly busy week, and uh, including... Yours truly being down in Orlando for Tom Woods 2000, um, that was a good time. And man, being from Maryland, like, wow. Was it nice to be in Florida, the land of the free? Except I will say, um, it was very disheartening, I guess is a word for it, um, to see how many, like, staff members at the hotel, which, so I imagine it was, you know, hotel policy that all the staff members were wearing masks, basically at all times. Like, I didn't get to see any of their faces, maybe one guy's once, and he wasn't looking at me. Um, so that was a bit, you know, odd. I kind of hoped better for Florida, but I can imagine that a large resort such as that, um, you know, might have different rules in place, unfortunately. And, you know, I don't know much about the way Florida's divided, but from basically, you know, other people I've talked to in Florida, it's not, it's not a hundred percent. It's, um, just like everywhere else there's pockets. And, um, so while overall, you know, from governor DeSantis, it's not a complete hellhole. Um, you know, hell can find you in other ways. But again, not to dampen the event at all. It was a great time. And I got to meet Cam. I got to meet Ryan. I got to meet Ryan's wife and another good friend of ours from the group who uh, doesn't podcast, but um, has been around since the beginning. So it was really, really awesome to meet them, obviously, and then to just be in a room with that many other people that cared about these things. And, you know, like, Got to hear um, Angela McArdle speak. I hadn't heard her speak in a while. You know, I'm, I haven't really caught up on uh, very many uh, more Libertarian Party-esque uh, podcasts, but um, she seems like a badass. And then Michael Bolden. Like, I kind of love just the diverse people that brought that um, Tom is able to bring together. The people we met, the people we saw and that spoke and, you know, put to, put the event together with him. It's just a great appreciation for people that are willing to speak their minds and, um, you know, like put out the content like Tom and others do. And then just an appreciation for others to stand up for these things and care enough about them to you know, take a weekend to fly down to Florida from wherever they were. I mean, like, uh, if you, if you, if you follow Tom's newsletter, you'll already know that people from all 50 states and I think like eight countries and even like maybe Puerto Rico and some Virgin Islands or something like it was a pretty big pull. Um, so that's huge. And that is like, I was ready to cry a few times just because I was so happy about it all. And, um, so yeah, celebrate the little things and celebrate the bigger things even even more so so that was huge um but anyway that's all to say that yeah both jesse and i've had busy weeks and so it's always super nice to get invited on somebody else's show 
so that we don't have to be in the driver's seat and it actually feels a little bit like a vacation. And, um, you know, since I'm actually an introvert and Jesse technically is too, actually, maybe it's just me. I think it's just me. Um, but like, you know, we're fairly introverted people that happen to have a podcast. So each and every episode, it's a little bit of a struggle, um, talking to strangers generally, but, um, usually they're all end up, they all end up being very cool in the end. And, but, you know, going on somebody else's show, like I said, we get to put our feet up. We get to relax in some ways, but in other ways, they really make us think. But, um, you know, that's that's what we're here for. That's, that's how we all keep sharp. So, without further ado, I want to let you all hear our conversation that we had on our new friend, LB Muniz, his podcast. It's called Been Awake. And, yeah, I mean, we kind of... Um, a little bit less less on topic now, but um, I appreciate the thought experiments he had us uh, going down. And so, thanks again, LB, for having us on. Um, keep in touch and uh, go check out his stuff. Thanks everybody for listening and have a good week. I guess philosophically speaking, I'm a voluntarist. I don't like the idea of labeling, like even for job titles, like I don't think it, it, it doesn't, I'm not the kind of person that sticks to that or has my label or title mean something. All they're going to associate with the word anarchy is somebody like the Antifa, no. <laughs> I think people view AOC as a sideshow and I think that's a mistake. You know, it makes sense that they needed kind of somebody that would have her his uh, popularity. Um, his populist backing from just, you know, normies out there. And um, she, she's got younger, TNA. She's tits so. and ass. And, <laughs> yeah, normal people like the non-state are more and more sort of married to the state. If I was in real life and an 18-year-old is acting like an idiot to me, I treat that person gentler and like more interested than I, than I do with the profile on Twitter. Welcome to the show. I am your host, L.B. Muniz, and this is the Been Awake Podcast for Better Sense Making. This is episode 60. Kind of crazy that we've made it this far. And it's my episode, my conversation with the voluntary vixens, Maddie and Jesse. I like to say a good conversation is a lot like jazz. Good jazz, I would say, argue at least. And a good conversationalist, therefore, needs to be something like a good jazz musician. You have to have the basics down. And you improvise from that point. See, even in a highly improvisational form of music, especially at its inception, like jazz, even something that's highly improvisational still relies on basic building blocks. We use an octave in the West, eight notes. Eight notes comprises, in various pitches, comprises all the music you know, right? Music theory can be reducible to these things. There's a mathematics to it. And that's still at the base of something like jazz that might appear disorganized, discordant, and without, well, rhyme or reason. During this conversation, we touch upon 
my conception of identity. We talk a lot about AOC at the Met, some of the symbolism that exists in an institution, or not an institution, in an event such as that. And the piercing of the political class into the entertainment class. There's always so much more to talk about in these interviews. And that's the point, having conversation. A lot of the people, a lot of those of us who are out here doing podcasting, that's one of the reasons why we chose to. We talk about that in the episode as well. It's kind of seeing who else is out there. One last thing. I'm very thankful for everyone who subscribed to the podcast. But I know some of you haven't subscribed with your email at beenawake.com. Could you do me that favor today? Appreciate you. Warning. The following broadcast is not approved by your teacher, university, politician, or government. Side effects may include skepticism, better reasoning skills, liberty, peace, and an escape from the woke. Record. Thank you, computer, for letting us know. Um, so, Jesse, Maddie, I, I like to say a little bit out of laziness, but honestly, because I'm, I'm really interested in this question of identity, and it seems that this, this question inevitably just give somebody a political label, but that's not all I'm interested in. Because, like, for example, I like to say the last thing that I am is a libertarian, and we can get into that. But what I'm curious is is how you guys would, or you ladies, you vixens, let's go with vixens because that's a fun word to say, um, uh, identify yourselves just, I guess, in, in absolute terms. Hmm. Jesse, you want to go first? I mean, I guess... Philosophically speaking, I'm a voluntarist. I used to identify as a libertarian, but I think it's kind of that word has gotten kind of run through the mud. And anarchy or anarchist kind of scares people away. But when you say you're a voluntarist, it kind of starts a conversation with people. And then you kind of have a better, I think it also better explains the, I mean, the philosophy that me and Maddie try to come across where you know we're interested in people voluntarily choosing their life whatever they want to road they want to go down whatever decisions they want to make so i don't know i would similarly um both label myself i'm doing the quotes that labeling quotes because i don't like the idea of labeling like even for job titles like i don't <laughs> think it, it it doesn't i'm not the kind of person that sticks to that or has my label or title means something. Um, but I would say, I would, I kind of like what you said, um, you're like last year a libertarian and that's kind of how I feel. So um, of course it's been an evolution. Um, and I started from somewhere more on like the conservative right, um, but always had sort of a libertarian lean to that. And then it kind of was as my eyes were open more, as I learned more, as I listened to more and found people like Tom Woods and, you know, the, uh, I wouldn't say the other end of the spectrum, but like, cause they're both very similarly um, ideological or their ideologies and their philosophies are pretty aligned, but like, you know, Tom Woods versus Dave Smith, they're 
Like one's just this, you know, very outspoken, unapologetic New York comedian versus like Tom Woods, the professor. And, um, but so being able to hear um, those views and, you know, people like Bob Murphy and how they could rationally and logically and with reason explain how anarchism is actually like the only thing that makes sense and um is, is moral and so I kind of you know just kind of kept kept uh, falling down the rabbit hole and then kept snowballing and um you know six months later or so you're an anarchist or an ANCAP as they say <laughs> and um but so like philosophically I'm in the category of anarchist or voluntarist is a again like a maybe a softer more friendly and more inviting word especially because like jesse said and like every anybody listening would know um when somebody hears the word anarchist all that they're going to associate especially like if there's somebody on the right um Mm. all they're going to associate with the word anarchy is somebody like the antifa nut jobs or chaz or chop and it's like (laughs) No, <laughs> uh, it's not just like that. And so um, I haven't read it yet, but I'm so thankful for somebody like Michael Malice to put together that um, the Anarchist Handbook, where it's like, these are all just like very smart and put together people. And <laughs> like, these are their ideas. And it's not just about um, like throwing together a crazy non-functioning system in the middle of downtown Seattle um with the <laughs> sort of a go ahead um with the back with the subtle backing of the uh, seattle city government but anyway so you know like philosophically voluntarist um i believe that and people like dr paul have i think explained it well to me that um and you know not me directly but uh, i'm not that important <laughs> oh you guys but, haven't um, gotten him yet <laughs> I, I've, I've not yet he's not been on the show i've met him a few times just because um I've been to his conferences, but um, I think he does a really got, good job of explaining just how, you know, the, when there is more freedom in a society and, and amongst individuals, and we have more individual liberty and freedom to interact voluntarily, cooperatively, and um, in, in our mutual benefit, like that's when peace and prosperity both increase. And it just all, you know, made sense to me. And so I'm lastly, a libertarian and so like if i were to politically align myself in any way it would be a libertarian but i think like that's where it stays so i guess <clears throat> the reason why i like to say the last thing i'm a libertarian the last thing i am is a libertarian and i've been hitting this idea a little bit more recently in some of my writing is the the is to make the point of how much more somebody is as an individual right like mm-hmm. you know i was i'm somebody who grew up in the midwest but also moved around a lot as we were kind of talking about before we started recording i'm you know a salesman i am a catholic i am uh you know i have brown hair i have all these i have a beard there are all these different features that make up the components of who i am i'm a writer i'm a reader as a person and my i've always I've never quite understood the way the, the the degree to which people conflate their political ideology with like their entire identity. Um, maybe it's a consequence of being more politically minded. And so you tend to come across people who are mm-hmm. more politically minded as a result. But but I think it's become more widespread over the last few years, certainly in a post 2016 world after Donald Trump was elected president, 
where a lot more and then even more so after 2020 when nobody could watch sports. So everybody mm. started paying a little <laughs> more attention to politics and it started to become something that people considered a larger part of um, of their identity. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it's a bit of a cry in the wind, but it's it's kind of I, that's why I like to make the reminder. I mean, beyond that, I'm a, I call myself a philosophical skeptic. Uh, sense maker is my catchy way of not sound, not trying to sound too contrived as by calling mm -hmm. himself a philosopher. Um, and <laughs> what I do is I write and try to make sense of the world and have fun talking to people about that. So now that we've all gotten to know each other, let's talk about the Met. Um, because I, well, because I think it's a really interesting story and it's I, what I always find super interesting from like the way people spin propaganda and the way, and, and I've been really paying closer attention to like pop culture and more, more importantly, this, like, cause you, you really, you had, you had it with JFK, you had it with someone, but like this piercing of the political class into the, into the entertainment class mm -hmm. and AOC really seems to be at the center of it. Does that, does that make sense at all to you guys? Yes. Well, Trump too. And, you know, yep. and I'm not, I guess it, it's like an, somewhat of an easy comparison for some people to make. I don't really try to just because I, I kind of dislike both of them and just talking about them um, takes up energy. But people have compared the two because of the, like what you just said, that they both seem to have this like well, obviously Trump did have celebrity status and that was a lot, you know, of what was in his favor and um, had name recognition and kind of just like the power that he had to do what he did in actually winning the presidency, even though none of us, I don't know about you, but none of us thought that was ever going to happen. But um, so actually that makes me really nervous for like if AOC is able to wield that. I mean, the country's already in the shitter. So we're, we have Biden now. Kamala's is number two. You know, we're heading in that direction. This isn't exactly what you were asking, but <laughs> oh God. Um, but yeah. It's not no, disconnected though, <clears throat> because I think that, um, I think people view AOC as a sideshow. And I think yeah. that's a mistake. Uh, for example, there was that, what was it? Mr. Reagan. I don't know if he still has a channel or not, but he had like that really high production quality to his stuff. And he like went through and talked about the, um, oh gosh, what was it? United citizens or something to where this, uh, political action group funded in part by the young Turks and other people mm. and other organizations like that actually like put out a call for people to say, Hey, we want somebody to run in this uh, Justice Democrats, that's the name of the group, um, how we want people to run in this district. And his whole thing was like, oh, well, this shoe is basically an actress, don't you see? And it's like, yeah, of course, this is actually how these things work. Yeah. But no, I, I think that I think that she's poised to become within four to five years. I mean, she is. She, um, so I, I, I learned about this from I was I was having drinks with somebody one time and it was like it was a karaoke night and she didn't want to go sing, even though she said she was a, a musician. Turns out, as we were talking, she actually had a record deal with Columbia Records uh, that, that she had signed at one point in time, but like had she didn't want to like stay in that world because they wanted her to be part of the X Factor program. And the mm. X program was something to something where they would take somebody kind of in a marginal, more up and coming music scene, and then they would turn flip them into a mainstream product for the masses. And again, this is according to her, you can look at artists like Katy Perry and Avril Lavigne as people who kind of went through that process. Now, this is how it was told to me. Um, 
why there's no reason to there's if there's no reason not to understand that that's exactly what happens in a lot of these political environments you go and you work inside of the general structure of a political party you base which basically means you're making phone calls for someone and then you know if they like your moxie and you're ruthless probably more often than not you'll actually get a position to run for office but that's that's what i don't know that's i don't i don't view her as this comical character i think she's very calculating <clears throat> Or the people around yeah. her are very calculating, which is basically the same thing. And yeah. I think within five to ten years, you'll see her in the you'll see her in the leadership of the Democratic Party, and she will be the perfect corporate representation for it. Why? Because her message is mass produced, tax the rich, made in a factory. It's still union work, fine. But the, you know, but like her whole thing is tax the rich. Again, at, you know, to draw the simple point, at the Met. Yeah, yeah. No. which is like, I think you have to pay like 30 grand or something for a ticket to get into the Met. So something obscene that. Us yeah, which is interesting. Something like that to wear yeah. such an ugly dress. Well, it's kind of and like. That was an ugly dress. It, it, it I mean, it would have been pretty if it had nothing on it, but it looked like somebody just like splattered blood on it or something. So it just, I don't know. Well, I didn't see anybody seem to really pick up on the fact that it was a wedding dress. And not just because it was in white, but that was a very like simple mermaid wedding dress thing, which is also just interesting when you consider the juxtaposition of tax the rich, like mm. on the bum to boot, which is just to mm. con- which is like to prominently display. It's 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 interesting symbolism from the fact of who is she married to or getting married to, right? Like what is she marrying if we want to be if we want to get completely wild? Oh with our thoughts. God, that's you are the philosopher. Well, she's a creative person, and we kind of touched on that. I mean, yeah. she's an actress. Um, that's what she is. And she's got a role to play and she's playing it well. The whole, her whole spiel is to piss us off. Yeah. She's, she's meant to make us mad. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she's like, so that she can kind of look like a Trump character for their side, you know? Yeah. Well, and she has that populist, she has that populist mm-hmm. energy behind her. And I think what's interesting, same thing with what you'll see with Bernie Sanders is just how that can then be co-opted into the mm-hmm. larger corporate Democrat face. Yeah, they needed uh, somebody a little. Well, actually, not that not that Bernie Sanders didn't, you know, fold like a lawn chair um, when he was told to, re, you know, in the past uh, like 2016, 2020 uh, runs here. But, um, you know, it makes sense that they needed kind of somebody that would have her his uh popularity um his populist backing from just you know normies out there and um she's she's got younger, tna she's so she tits and ass and there is that too <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean i mean I'm, I'm gonna be real like that probably does that probably attracts a lot of men but it also attracts a lot of women too because what do women look at we like to look at other women so it looks good to us if we're if our side has this attractive woman kind of pissing off all our enemies, you know, yeah. and she's looking good while she's doing it. So it's appealing and yeah. attractive, like literally like draws people in. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what we respond. We respond naturally to it. So, no, I think that's that, that's that's the one thing that I find. I mean, not less so in like liberty, libertarian circles, but certainly in more general conservative ink circles the the impulse is to simply mock her and like not to say don't mock politicians in fact i'm, yeah, I'm all i'm all for it right Do but it. like that's just not you know i'm just gonna be like yeah okay but 
we need to yeah. take a look at what she's actually doing and what she's actually representing mm-hmm. because it's it has absolutely nothing to do with what she believes or who what she thinks or how what 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 goes through her head before she hits her before she touches down at the end of the night however that saying goes it's about the people who respond to that mm-hmm. um and that's and like that i think that's the part that gets lost a lot of times when you're when you're when you're watching the show instead of understanding how the set was made it, it, when you're like if you're you know there's you can watch mm-hmm. you have a movie or or a play if you like if you that you've seen a million times you suddenly start to notice things differently in the background like um the tv show white collar completely random but there's this scene where in the it's like this big speech that one of the characters is giving and she's actually delivering it to a secondary so like in a lot of shows they'll have a stand-in a stand-in excuse me that's what it's called they'll have stand-ins for main actors so that they don't have to sit there while somebody else is doing their lines while the cameras are up on them because you do like five or six shots with different things so like very clearly in the reflection, you can see uh, you can see the stand-in, and it's not Matt Bomber; it's some random dude uh, that's just standing there. And it's like it's very, very jarring. Or you go back and watch like old '60s, '80s television, and with HDTV, when they switch to the fight scenes, it's like, oh, that that doesn't even look like Captain Picard. That like <laughs> that looks like you know that doesn't even look like uh, like anything. It's just an, it's a completely different person. So in the same way, people will um, observe politicians as as if as, as the performer, and that's or no, they'll observe politicians as if they were not performers, and so therefore think that that's everything that they see in front of them. And mm-hmm. again, what you know, what I try to do on my show and when I write is to try and like peel back that part of the curtain for people who are willing to take a look at the guts inside. Yeah. Um, quick thought I had in response to your pointing out that it was a wedding dress or, you know, could have passed for what would have been a, you know, wedding dress bridal gown that she was wearing that happened to say tax the rich. And, you know, what does that imply? Who is she marrying or who, what's the message about that might be marrying that? And so, you know, as, um, as libertarians and anybody who kind of has, um, a basic economic understanding of how, like how the state actually, (laughs) acquires wealth right it's through violence and through theft and it's taking from us productive people um that really like can't afford to not have the state just rape us um but so the more that we we it's not the rich getting taxed it's more of like us middle class normal basic people that are just trying to make ends meet or just trying to live a life and really just want to be left alone for the most part um it's like when more, when we are taxed higher, like it, it of course doesn't affect the billionaires. It doesn't affect like rich enough people that are, you know, have the time and, and, and mannerisms or not mannerisms, but maneuvers to structure their finances in a way that kind of prevents them from having to pay more. Cause who would want to pay more? Right. But so anyway, like we get further, like, that's how the state grows. That's how we weaken. That's how we shrink. That's how our like strength kind of falters. But the normal people like the non-state are more and more sort of married to the state. And um, so it's also sort of related to like maybe those people that follow her, um, you know, the feminists that are strong, independent women, but are actually like promoting bigger and bigger government. Right. And mm-hmm. so they're all married to the state as opposed to 
having a normal life and family and not thinking that the government of all people is going to take care of you. I thought feminism was just about equal rights for women. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll put a sound effect in post. Uh, <laughs> no, I think, no, I think, I think that's, I, I think that's actually a good, a good part of it. Right. I don't think it's, I don't think it's incorrect to say that if uh, that, that the people who want to, you know, tax the rich and also like AOC's targeted demographic is probably younger women, as far as I can tell. Like you said, she's easy on the eyes. So like guys will, you know, I think that's maybe that's part of the reason why the conservative audience needs to like pretend she's that crazy. It's because it's like you can't pay attention to like the fact that she's attractive. Um, if you were a leftist, you might say it's because she's brown. I think it's just because she's, you know, she is a little crazy. Um, <laughs> but in any event, though. I mean, I, I don't. I think that's. I think that's a good part of it, where you're divorce. You're divorcing yourself from traditional um, paths in life, mm -hmm. and and as a consequence, you need to. You want to make sure you have a safety net because, of course, biologically speaking, we're all driven to have some some form of safety. And if you know, if we're going to take, um, if if we're going to take personality into account, then you know, some people are going to exhibit more cautious, uh, more cautious tendencies than others. So yeah, I don't know. I find it, I don't like the fact that people dislike or that, that people don't take her seriously because I think it, because I think it's, it's a sign that the, uh, no matter, you might say you're red pilled, but maybe you need to take another, uh, maybe you need to take another, another dose, another hit. What are your guys' thoughts on the pills? Um, I think it's the most accurate way to describe what's going on, to be honest, because I like the pills. Yeah. Like I was just telling somebody the other day or today, actually, I was talking about, um, you know, my, uh, we'll just say my hairdresser. Um, she is, I was saying she's woke, meaning like she's red pilled, but the word woke has been co-opted and turned into like, just basically being asleep and being an idiot. Yeah. So, so she's awake, not woke. <laughs> yes. So I made the mistake of using that word. And I was just realizing like the, our languages have, we, we both sides use the same words, but they have totally completely different meanings. Like the word racism, woke, is those are two that I can think of off the top of my head. But red pill does seem to work pretty well because it is about, you know, somebody who's seeking out the truth, somebody who's ready to see the matrix for what it is. So I don't know, it's the most accurate thing I can think of it right now. And I think it, um, it's cross party, you know, it's, it's, there are blue pilled libertarians and they're awful. Like they still have mm -hmm. some kind of like trust and I don't know, admiration for the state and institutions and like trust that well, they'll, you know, just get the right people in charge and um, they'll see it through. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I would rather take a red pilled liberal any day than a blue-pilled libertarian mm -hmm. yes my friend james gentleman likes to say there are too many pills you know red and blue makes <laughs> sense but black and white is kind of pointless um and, and i would and i would almost agree with him except that i think part of the idea of taking a pill is is a question of dosage and is, and is a matter of consistency um I'll, I'll defer to the medical expert in the room if i have anything <laughs> wrong on that um but 
it, but so like there's so there's this i think with the red and red and blue that's something you take once right that's like one thing that you have to do you can take a few different ones but as this as it goes in this movie so it goes in or as it goes in the documentary as it were so it goes in real life that you can't you really can't go back you can get mm -hmm. to you can you can reach new and different levels and gosh darn it certainly there are more levels which is terrifying at times but hey you know you make a decision and you got to follow through but on the but when it comes to the when it comes to the white and black i think that's more of like um that's more of like a daily dosage kind of thing at least at, at least in the way that it, the metaphor is going to make any sense and be of yeah. any use for people yeah. which is what i'm interested in is like philosophy and ideas that can be made of use um otherwise they're pointless masturbatory uh, 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 uh events but mm -hmm. It, so like the so like that's the only way it makes sense to me and i don't understand why anybody would ever take a black pill as a consequence because i view life as a choice so it doesn't make any sense to yeah. think that the future is without without hope that the, and i think um i really think nihilism is boring and that if you don't think that the future is worth having then why are you, you here well like, why are, why you are here? we talking precisely yeah. yeah exactly no that's actually exactly <laughs> yeah. what i was saying yeah yeah I've never understood nihilism. I don't even understand it as a philosophy or why anybody even, I mean, bothers to even go that direction. But I mean, yeah. It's sad. it's sad for people that do get stuck there. I think it's, yes. Know, I don't necessarily think it's not certain choices perhaps and, and maybe certain quote unquote pills or like certain dosages or certain supplementation perhaps um, that might get them to that point of nihilism, but it is a little bit self-indulgent. It's a little bit self-centered and not in a like introspective self-awareness sort of way. It's like, a, mm -hmm. I don't know, like you've kind of given up on yourself and everything else. And really like, that's it. Like, that's all you could really come up with. Precisely. And I've, I've talked to some people who like claim the term nihilism or claim some sort of fealty to a portion of nihilism. And it's another demonstration of a concept that I've been trying to talk about a lot. Um, and I've had some success with, which is like, you know, the reason why I'm interested in identity in, in large regard is because as far as I can tell currently, it's, it's a paradox. It's actually not something it's not, it's actually not resolvable in and of itself. Um, if just by saying as we that's one of the reasons why we started the show and you guys both kind of demonstrated that with the whole thing. And I did as well of like, well, like, you know, I'm a libertarian, but am I, I'm, I'm an anarchist, but am I, I'm a voluntarist and that, and that kind of works. Cause people don't like, people don't recoil from something like that. And, <laughs> and I, and, and, and the idea is kind of like that. I can have complete, I can have one set of under one set of points to understand what an identity is. Somebody could have a completely different set of points that are entirely negative, whereas mine are only positive. And then somebody can have a completely different set of positive associations. And yet we can all claim literal fealty, right? Like we're claiming this as our own, where we're claiming allegiance to this, that this literal fealty to an idea and saying that this is who we are as a way to identify them with other people. And so I, I think we see it in, I think we see it in all walks and all lives. And I think the pills are a way to try and reconcile that. And it's a very e easy self-sorting mechanism, but here's the kicker. It even goes for the red pill, right? Because for some people, the red pill means you're going to vote for Donald Trump in 2024. Mm. And, and, you know, yes. like, and, and I'm perhaps <laughs> more amenable to the arguments of anything but the left uh, in 2024 than I was, than I was six months ago, but that doesn't change that doesn't change my argument, which is that again, mm -hmm. as I kind of stepped over there was, is like, you could think that's being a Republic, like red, Oh, red, red Republican, 
blue Democrat. So I am a Republican, therefore red pilled. There's nothing wrong with having that level of intuition. I'm, I'm merely trying to draw out the larger concept, which is the paradox of identity, which is something that I think we all have to contend with if we are to try and understand things in a rational way. Yeah, and I think that, you know, as we get older and as we learn more, we change in how, you know, who we are and what we value and things like that too, because we learn more. Um, I, I'm scared for people that have like, they've been Democrats or Republicans since they were able to vote. Like, you know, they're in their fifties and they've been, they've never changed parties or they never thought about changing or those people scare me a little bit. Um, maybe they've never been challenged on anything at all, but if you can't change your mind on a few things, as you get older, you kind of scare me a little bit. Cause that makes me think that maybe you're not so open-minded no, and you're I, not I, seeing the truth. I think, I think that's a good point. And I certainly, there's an, we don't talk enough about like <laughs> generational differences in that regard. And I, I don't know, this is just kind of an open-ended question, but we have four going on five generations actively, like of active working age. I think that might be the first time in human history that's ever occurred. And we are more connected and, and we're moving our, our the, the, the bulk of human knowledge is like moving at, and increasing at such an exponential rate faster than we've ever had before. So, which is to say things are complicated and it's okay that a lot of things don't make sense now as a result. But, yeah. but to the generational point, it's um, like, I've kind of, I have people over 50 who listen to my content and really enjoy it, but there's kind of a rule of thumb I have where if like somebody is over 40 or over 50 years old and they're not already in my in-group that I'm not going to engage with them in, in, in an open, in, in an open manner. And I'm, and I also kind of understand that I can't really, I can't really talk to them in the same way that I would somebody who's younger because they didn't grow up in the same kind of a world. And, and I think, you know, yeah. to, to draw a very crudely often made point rather is, you know, social media exemplifies this. And I likened it to um, like the, like you're, you're asking somebody who's like seven years old to use social media is like asking is like asking me to land a plane, a, a Boeing 747 with a full flight on a short runway. Like it's, it's, it might work out, but more often than not, a lot of people are going to die. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's, I, I think there's, I think there's um, with everything in, in human history, but there's this lag effect of like, what are we actually doing? And one thing I've noticed with the people that I've talked to and interviewed is that one thing we're doing is like, okay, well, there have to be, there have to be sane people out there that I can talk to that are like actually normal and interested in yeah. ideas. Um, and there's this great way in which, the technology that ultimately is being used to control us is also is also allowing this renaissance, dare I say, to occur. Because um, I, I think the next five years are going to be fascinating. Um, I think if you have certain gods that, uh, to use the term loosely, that it might be worse than others. But I think if you're, if you're ready for the change, things are going to be wonderful. Yeah. I, I think that's the thing is... Um... You know, I, like you said, I've had conversations with people who are older and um, I, I, a lot of the people that go to my church, for example, are a lot older than me. And I remember hearing this one woman that I'm in Bible study with and she's talking about her son. 
he wants to overthrow the government according to her, according to what she thinks. But it's, he sounds like, I was like, he sounds like somebody I'd probably be friends with. Um, but yeah, like that's, they, I think there's like this mentality. There's like, we have to remember like the boomers have probably been the most brainwashed and propagandized generation ever. They've, they didn't have the internet growing up. So what they had as entertainment when you look back at their entertainment, it was all propaganda. Look, like, remember their old movies. It's all about worshiping the soldier, worshiping the military and American conquest. And our presidents are these movie stars like JFK and Ronald Reagan. And, you know, they were these great men that led our country out of communism or whatever. Um, they didn't have... There were no alternative views. There was hardly anybody speaking out against any of that or challenging any of that. So they grew up like believing the government is good. The military is good. So, you know, people like us coming and talking to them after all those years, um, they just don't, they're not receptive to it, you know? I don't know. Anything to add, Maddie? Um, well, I don't, so it really does depend, I think, on the generation. And, um, I feel like I can identify really well with like old people. <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah. I've always felt, I've always felt like I'm an old person. I've been an old person my whole life. And, um, so I think, and maybe, you know, that something about that in me and the, just the way I was raised and had you know older people around me and constant um different generations like taking care of me and with me so i've kind of um it's definitely stratified um but i think like the older older like non uh, if like we can get past the boomers um but i do think like i identify with all the like the, the 90 age. year olds <laughs> Well, yeah, honestly, like the 80 year old, 90 year olds, like those people are my people. And I feel like um, they saw things before their children, you know, like, so they're, they, they lived a harder life for sure. They did. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they were coming out of the depression. And so, and even those people are, you know, dwindling just because it's 2021 now, but so there's not a ton of them left, but I think, um, like as they're leaving the earth and, you know, their our time with them is dwindling, we're losing kind of, uh, such like a reality check, almost like some, such a harsh contrast to the comforts we, we have today versus what they went through and what hardships actually were. Mm, no, I, sure. I think that's, I think that's a good point. And I also think that's why it's not, um, it, this, it, it, some of it, sure. Everything has a biological component, but you also witness this with people who escaped communist regimes. Like I, I talk about how, like I have, I've had an inoculation since I was a kid against Marxism and leftism because of my, because of the story of my grandparents leaving Cuba, right? Mm -hmm. Like in understanding exactly mm -hmm. why that was the case and why they came to this country um so and it, and you know and it's something that i've carried with me to this day and is it is a huge but it but it but it's the inoculation right it's not it's it's it wasn't enough to get 
everybody in my family exactly where I am, but it was enough for, for me, plus, you know, some other things and like being more academically inclined. So like wanting to read and learn more that kind of like led me on the intellectual journey to where I am today as a consequence. And I think there's, um, and I, I bring up the generational point too, because like the reason, the reason why we've connected is, is thanks to Twitter. And this is something that I've been mulling over and there's a lot of good about Twitter. Again, I'm, I'm very much, I'm very much a balanced guy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's, I guess it's the skeptical aspect in me, but I think there's just a balance in nature. I don't look at one. I don't look at, um, well, is there a balance in nature? Okay. Let's, let's stay off that topic. <laughs> um, but with, uh, with, with Twitter, there's the two points. One is the, like the Twitter is very much egalitarian in a, in, in a couple of respects and then very inegalitarian in other respects, but focusing on the egalitarian aspects of it are twofold. And, and, and a lot of it, again, I'm going to bring this back to age, which is like one thing I do on Twitter that I don't see enough people do, especially people with like, you know, sizable followings. Um, and I'm, I'm very, very small. I have a very small following, which is okay for now, but it's, it's not so much. It's like you, you click through the profile and you see that it's like, okay, this person is clearly 18 years old. All right. I'm not, I'm not going to come at an 18 year old. If I was in, if I was in real life, this is the point I'm trying to draw. Out. If I was in real life and an 18 year old is acting like an idiot to me or like spouting off about, you know, some political doctrine that he came up with or something like that. I treat that person in real life a lot gentler, I think, depending on the guy. Let's, 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 let's suppose a good context. Um, I like gentler and like more interested than I, than I do the, the profile on Twitter and the same thing in reverse, right? Where like, if I'm talking to somebody on the phone and he's obviously in his sixties, I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to make the same jokes to this guy that I would somebody in his thirties. <laughs> is this something you guys have thought of as it relates to Twitter or what is, how does it strike you? Well, I think that probably the best advice I was ever given was when I was training to be a therapist, my um, preceptor was telling me that don't work, don't work any harder than your patient is willing to go. So, you know, and it has translated well into nursing as well. It's like if a patient doesn't want to take their medications or a patient doesn't want to do the prescribed things, that's their choice and you have to respect it. And don't put a lot of work and effort and stress over trying to change their mind if they don't want to do it. You have to kind of respect that. And you kind of have to do that with some people online. It's like, you know, they have, I don't know how successful has anybody ever been with changing anybody's mind online. I mean, it's pretty, it's probably less than 1%, you know, it's probably about the COVID numbers for like kids. So it's not, um, it's not worth your time and effort is what I would say if they aren't open to it and if they are, then go for it. But if they're not, you know, there's other ways to reach people than Twitter, <laughs> you know, or any social media. Um, how old are you? Me? I'm 29. Yeah, 29. Okay. So I'm 31. So we're, you know, right about the same. And so you can let me know if you've um, had this experience at all, or if it's really just me and because I am an old person. So I think I have more Twitter followers that are older, like actually including like boomers and just adults and whatever. But honestly, like, 
I've probably lost friends and followers that were my age because they're not receptive or open to these ideas. And it is a very like, I don't know, like not, not popular um, set of opinions for like our age bracket. I've had to make um, a lot of tactical choices over the last year or two as it relates to relationships. I mean, I had certainly been somebody, I've always kind of been this way. Um, so like, and as, so as a consequence, I have cultivated friendships that value this kind of conversation and discussion about the world and about relationships and different things like that. But that was kind of like after I tried to be, um, what's the word, normal? Um, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> yeah. it's so, so like, so, which is kind of to say like, I hadn't, I didn't have many like acquaintances. Sure. Like people that I could maybe hit up and be like, Hey, if I'd saw them at a bar, would we catch up? Absolutely. But like not people that I would actively talk to that were um, like overtly on the left or, you know, progressive. My family is a different story. I have, I'm from a very large family and I'm very close with a lot of my cousins mm -hmm. and one decision I made and people can take me to task for this and I don't really care um, is to focus on being a good brother, a good cousin, a good son, as opposed to being a good libertarian on the on political issues, um, yeah. as opposed to making sure that my understanding of individualism was the dominant conversation piece within the family unit. And, and again, like it, it came with some sacrifices, right? I have to close off certain kinds of conversations with yep. people who I would maybe have them with in the past. But, but the other part of that is, is where I've, I'm listening to people and seeing it on Twitter of like, my dad's not talking to me anymore. I'm not going to Thanksgiving this year. Um, that hasn't happened yet. Um, you know, I, I, I know people who were getting like disinvited from weddings, like friends of theirs. And, and I, 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 I mm -hmm. couldn't even imagine doing that to a friend of mine. Um, and so, and so, but I couldn't imagine having like a relationship like that, that was obviously so shallow that somebody would be mm -hmm. willing to do that. But, you know, I get it if you're having a big wedding, but like, and it's an excuse. So, I mean, that's how I'd answer the question is really I've done, that's the point of LB. That's the point of beenawake.com is to give me an outlet and to find an audience. Cause I mean, I think I have yep. enough talent to make it, to make a go of it, but also to make sure that if I'm doing, if I am going to express myself, I can do it in the best way. Cause that was something I noticed is like, I hadn't really been like keeping up to date or writing and your mind is foggier when you get into arguments. And then, then you Dunning-Kruger effect style is you just realize the arguments are kind of, kind of pointless in a certain respect. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to my family, um, you know, we're all pretty open-minded, I guess, but this whole last year has really, made some people kind of lose their mind a little bit. Um, so when it comes to the vaccine, there's been some of family members that don't want to be around those who are not vaccinated. So that's been probably our biggest problem. But, um, and I'm like you, I don't feel like, you know, if you don't agree with me on things politically, I don't feel the need to unfriend people or disassociate but I have had people disassociate with me because I didn't agree with them. Mm -hmm. So that's probably been the most, like if I've lost friends, it's mostly because they chose to walk away rather than, you know, be my friend and, you know, accept me for who I am. Mm 
So. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I, it's, um, it, this is a strange story and if for whatever reason, the person I'm going to talk about ever hears this, I don't mean anything ill, but I can remember somebody I was close to in high school and like one day and, uh, and we were like dance partners in musical theater stuff. So like we were, you know, we were pretty close and we would yeah. hang out and stuff like that. And we were friends and not, and we kind of like had some mixes on Facebook. And then one day she had like deleted me and I got, I got, this was, this would have been like five or six years ago and I got really sad and I only bring it up now, not because like I've been obsessing out about it over for these years, but I found out kind of through the grapevine that she was pregnant and that there was like massive problems with the baby's heart and they were going to have to do surgeries. And I was like, and, and like, I, I donated to her GoFundMe and it was, you know what I mean? And like, it's not, I, I'm not trying to make myself sound amazing. I'm just trying to talk about how it is sad when people disconnect from you for like what you perceived as an open and honest exchange of ideas. And that's where I do think people with marginal mm -hmm. political views need to be careful when engaging with the broader audience. Like, ironically, we can do this publicly and that this is going to be on an RSS feed, but like privately and that only the audience who's really interested in it yeah. is going to discover it. Um, but I, you know, it's unfortunately that, that collegiate, like literal collegiate, right? Like the idea of being colleagues, that collegiate attitude as it relates to political ideology, I think is, 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 is frankly gone, but let's just say passing to put it in the present tense. It's passing in the United States of America, this liberal notion where you can have an open exchange of ideas. It's, you have to be far more conniving, far more, um, far more strategic and far more purposeful with your interactions and your friendships and your relationships as a consequence. And, and that's because you've taken the red pill, which, you know, arguably if you're listening to the show, you're probably somewhat there a little bit. Yeah. So it's like, uh -huh. if you've already, if you've already seen beyond the looking glass to just mix one more metaphor into the equation, if you've already seen beyond the looking glass, I really do think that, um, I do, I do think that it's, it's important that you kind of take that, take that advice to heart because your, your relationships are going to prosper as a consequence. Nobody likes it when, you're really annoying all the time. It, it, even though I was that person like five years ago. So like, yeah, I get it. Like I've been doing this since 2012, uh, you know, it, even like a little bit before that, cause I've been studying philosophy for probably over 10 years at this point. So it's like, I, I, I get it, you know, and, and that's people accuse me of being like up here, like, Oh, crazy all the time. Like Alex Jones. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, no, don't think I haven't had those kinds of thoughts of, of trajectories of the future. It's like, oh God, there's like, there's like that, you know, listen to him talking like, oh, frack, that sounds like how I think sometimes. And then Kanye West is the same thing. So I'm going to hope it's more Kanye. <laughs> um, well, I do. I, here's my thinking, though, is that what we've come across now is we had like when Donald Trump became president, there was this fracture in people's minds. They could not be open minded anymore. It had it was. To them, it was do or die. It's like either you're for or against. You can't if you're against if you're for or you're not on Boys my side. Bad. Yeah, and that's what I ran into. I had you know I actually was I come more from the conservative side, but I had a, a buttload of friends that were you know Democrats and they leaned left because they were more fun to hang out with and we could do party and stuff. So, you know, they was they were the more open-minded people growing up. And then as we grew up and life happened, um, you know, I realized that, you know, I'm probably more libertarian. But when Donald Trump became president, you know, I just couldn't get as mad as they could. I just could not care as much as they could. Nobody could get and, as mad as they could. And, 
you know, like you said, awesome. you know, I, I don't try to put my politics into every conversation, but it was like every conversation was like, look at how stupid Donald Trump is today. Do you not agree? And it would be like, mm, well, he, you know, he's not the worst <laughs> person in the world. So can we move on? And what it would just, yeah, it would just be like, you know, I'm not, I don't think he's Hitler. I'm sorry. But that doesn't mean I love him either. Can we yes. just not? And it would just never be good enough. And so that would be the problem I ran into is that. And then, of course, COVID happened. And because I'm a nurse and I've seen much worse situations in my life, much sicker patients, much worse data points than that, it was hard for me to panic alongside these people like they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to hoard toilet paper. I didn't want to wear a mask. I didn't want to, you know, hide in my house for the next year. So I needed to be let go because I was a problem, you know? I was going to say one of my favorite um, favorite memories of the Donald Trump era, especially like the early days, right? You know, when the fear was fresh. Like, what's this madman going to do? Oh, no, he's going to appoint Betsy DeVos to the Board of Education, you know, the Department of Education. And I remember this coworker who was a, a few years younger than me. Like, you know, we were friendly. And since we were about the same age, and that was rare in our very small company, everybody else was older. He came in and um, sat and we were chatting, I guess. And I don't know how it came up because I would have never brought it up. I, I keep to myself. I do not interject politics unless, again, I'm like with my family. And honestly, like we're all each other kind of has because otherwise in the real quote unquote real world, we kind of have to tone it down. No matter like what part of the spectrum we're on, we generally we live in deep blue Maryland. So, (laughs) you know, whether I'm the anarchist or there's a libertarian or there's like a conservative or Republican in my family, you know, everybody's kind of got to keep it quiet. So. But anyway, so this kid's sitting there and don't know how it came up, but all of a sudden it was like this outrage of him and disbelief that Donald Trump was nominating Betsy DeVos for the Department of Education. And he he said it in a way that like was clearly needing a response from me. And I just looked at him. I was like, I mean, I don't think there should be a, a Department of Education. So, I, you know, I'm not the person to ask about that really and um which is great because it's sort of like what thomas massey did and he had all these constituents calling like what are you gonna do about betsy defoss and i mean he makes the point so he was at the ron paul lunch a few weeks ago that i was at and he did a speech and this was part of it um and he (laughs) he was like well you know you all probably know that you know the house has nothing to do with um these nominees it's the senate and he's like but you know something i can do especially that might you know shut these people up when they're calling and asking me about like what i'm doing he's like all right i'm gonna write the simplest bill that ever was the one sentence the department of education will end on december 31st you know whatever the year was 2016 2017 and um so when people would call him and ask you know what are you doing about he's like well i plan on it i can't like we can't give this person this much power we're gonna end the department (laughs) and yeah so just another example of um i think how it's 
so popular to, and honestly, like it goes back to I'll be what you were talking about earlier, like the the piercing of the um, political class know, op- into the entertainment class. Exactly. Yeah. It, and, and so like they were already catching up and keeping up with the Kardashians. And so now they're keeping up and exactly. catching up with AOC. And it's like, oh, my God, it couldn't have gotten dumber. And now it's gotten dumber. Well, see, it's um, it's I, I, you know, it, dumb is one word for it. Insidious is another. Yeah, uh, because be, because if there's one thing, if there's one thing that capitalism has shown is that people love the idea of nobility and they love the idea of, there are rather there is a certain segment of person. There is a certain type of person that is predisposed to worshiping people they view as better than them. Like what you were pointing out before is part of the reason why everyone one way or the other loves and or hates AOC is because of the fact that she's attractive, whether you're attracted to her or attracted or just think that she is an attractive person. Um, it's so it's, yeah, I think there's, there's an insidious nature to that, which is to say you're using human nature in such a way that is, um, you know, going to bring death and destruction on people. So, well, to clarify, like the, it getting dumber is kind of really like the following, the, the society, the culture, that's what's getting dumber, but you're absolutely right. Like it's purposefully done. It's masterfully crafted and it is insidious for sure. Yeah, the Obamas had it too. Well, I think that is as good a place as any to wrap. Although perhaps, I don't know, is that a good note or a bad note? I can't tell. I can't tell anymore. Uh, I mean, this could be, I'll say this, this could be um, tax the rich is kind of like her let them eat cake moment. And we could start seeing the fracture and falling apart of this worship of these politicians. I think tax the rich is closer to MAGA than we might think. Um, it ju- from the standpoint of 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 going of of um, from the standpoint of of having staying power, uh, because because it's very easy to breed resentment because resentment relies upon anger, and if you can make somebody angry at something, then you have them, right? You have control over you you know potentially their pocketbooks, but certainly their attention in the moment, and it's very easy. Um, because I, because I've been shifting, I've been shifting not a ton, but a little bit of the focus of my of of my writing and stuff, and I'm trying to incorporate more mindset into you know and like positive thinking uh, along the wealth, power, and influence model of like making yourself into the best person you can be. Um, and, and so like and and that's and that's a part of it of where there's the person who instead of looking at his lot in life and thinking, well, if I just tried a little harder, maybe I could get you know five percent better he instead thinks like, well, I would be 20% better if it wasn't for Jeff Bezos. Yeah. And and that, and and that works. It's not logical, right? Like I talk about instinct, reason, and faith being the three major drives. It's this instinctual thing that you're using our capacity for faith, which is to say to take something for granted. Um, Like our capacity to have faith drive us with the instinct to say like, okay, it's a message that works. And, and, And like, and I think I'm finally coming to terms with that after like, being in political circles for about a decade and and it's it's again it's another realization of like what Nietzsche refers to as the herd of humanity mm-hmm. or just how we all act as groups as tribes if you will mm-hmm. and my biggest question is is who are the rich because is she talking about herself or are we talking about middle class she's definitely not talking about herself 
because that's the that's the thing is they could easily say the middle or the uh, the rich are people who are making two hundred thousand, but these are maybe entrepreneurs, and that two hundred thousand they may be making, but it goes right back into their business, and it feeds their family, and so you know what do they mean by the rich? That's the that's a question that they should be asking her, but they're not. They just sit back and they think oh, it's just Jeff Bezos or it's, you know, it's Elon Musk. It's so lazy. Yeah, yeah it's not, it's, nah, Well, that's it's not. democracy. <laughs> yep, yeah. bingo. Lazy as hell. And that's why maybe you shouldn't, like, that's why I think they tried to meld the, these two, the politics and entertainment together because, you know, you don't have to be super bright to enjoy the Kardashians or, you know, I like to watch um, 90 Day Fiance. It's absolutely the most retarded show ever, <laughs> but it's entertainment. But that's well, okay. what politics is now. And there's and there's like a certain class of guy that'll be like women with their reality TV shows. And I just like to make the point because I spend a lot of time. I spend a lot of time in hotel rooms, which mean which means I actually watch TV as a millennial. I don't have cable at home, but like I'll actually watch TV and channel surf in hotel rooms sometimes. I, I also have a I also have a fire TV stick that I plug into the TV sometimes, good, too. Good it just depends on the night. But one thing is like it's the same pawn stars counting cars american pickers it's the same thing for guys it's it's because again especially once you stop seeing the characters and you start seeing mm -hmm. or stop seeing the performance and you start seeing the production element of it and you just realize um because i was watching the sh that show counting cars which is you know like the donnie dude he wears like the headband because he's probably completely bald except for his ponytail and um and, and there was this like there's this thing where they do the big reveal at the end and like you're supposed to have the customer there and i watched like three episodes in a row where the customer wasn't there so he just brought in some random person and it's like well of course if we're doing a tv show we have to do a big reveal at the end but these customers are like probably well-to-do businessmen who don't have an afternoon to watch somebody tell them about the car that yeah. they just spent three hundred thousand dollars, you know, in reinvesting in, and so they already know what he did. So they're like bringing in some like salesman from a car exchange or something. He's like, "Cause I respect your opinion, man." And so again, it's my point here is only to say that like that exists, and then of course there's the entire sports world, which is maybe oh, yeah. a topic for another day. But it has it has like <laughs> I I can't stand sports talk radio. I'll say it now because I had to I was I was Go exposed ahead. to it recently and I was it's like I don't I like watching sports I like what I can watch a football game I, I love hockey I like baseball like I can do that but it's like there's something about the commentary that just just gets Awful. to me <laughs> I don't know it what is it bad is. but I will say like I really do like um I like watching basketball so I do like um TNT's like commentary because they've got um Oh God, I just blanked on his name. Charles Barkley. Yeah, he's and, pretty good. Yeah. I mean, he's funny in a deadpan kind of way, you know? And um Shaq, you know, they have like this thing together that they're entertainment. They're they're good. They're that's probably the only sports commentary I'll ever watch. Yeah, there's maybe it's just football then. I don't know. Like it's just yeah, it's just something about it. It's it it was like I was kind of anyway, like I don't watch, I don't like <laughs> spend my Sundays watching TV, watching yeah. sports. So Anyway, all right. I think it's time to plug and get going. Uh, <laughs> thank you all so much for being here. I do appreciate it. Uh, whoever wants to go, I don't know how you guys do your plugs, so feel free. I we're just make Jesse plug. Yeah, I'm always doing it. Um, we're most active on Instagram um, at Voluntary Vixens. 
there and uh, Facebook. And we do have a Twitter um, at Vixens Voluntary because somebody took our voluntary Vixens yeah, before we got there. Going to shake them. <laughs> and uh, we do have, um, well, we're working on, we're going to work on some other projects, but um, we do have a Patreon right now if you guys want to donate to us at, I guess it's Vixens underscore voluntary. So, I think it's at least searchable. Um, but we're going to be, we're thinking of Rockfin and some other things too. So yeah, we'll like get to back to you. That. Yeah. Sure. Did I, um, did I hear that you guys are like part of a network of yes. people when you did Correct. your interview with Adam Patrick? Yes. We yep. are a part of the MLGA network or Make Liberty Great Again network. Um, Cam Harless started it with Ryan Burgett. And Cam is the host of The Mad Ones with Jessica Green. He actually does some um, guest appearances on the Propaganda Report for Monica and Binkley, if one of them are yes. out. So yes, you guys should listen to them too, because they're friends of our network and um ryan burgett has a show and he kind of he's been really busy lately but he does techno agorist and he his are good because they're only like seven to 14 minutes long and he but he you know espouses his wisdom really quickly and so it's a good little quick you know listen if you're driving to work or something Fantastic. And if you guys are listening to this because you're fans of the Vixens and who wouldn't be, my name is LB Muniz. You can find me in my writings at beenawake.com where I also host my podcast where we talk about news, mindset, and philosophy. I'm on all forms of social media at the LB Muniz. like what you heard today, go to banawake.com to subscribe for future updates. My name is LB Muniz, and I am not one with the woke.